Welcome to the Relationship Church Podcast. This is our midweek service where we dive deeper into the Word of God, studying the Bible together as a body. We invite you to grab your Bibles, open your minds, and prepare to search the Scriptures with us. We are Relationship Church, the Whole Life Church. Uh, the work of Lord, because you didn't come to see me, you came to hear uh, a word from the Lord. So we're going to go to the book of Second Kings, chapter number twenty. Excuse me. We're going to go to the book of Second Kings, chapter number twenty. I'm just going to read a couple verses there, um, and then we are going to have I, what I hope will be a little more of an interactive study tonight. Um, but I'll introduce that a little bit more after we read our scripture. Second Kings chapter number 20 in the scripture says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember how I have walked before thee in thy truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Right, we'll stop uh, reading there. And, and really, that's probably one of the only scriptures we'll go to tonight, unlike a normal Bible study, uh, because what we're going to actually talk about tonight is estate planning. <laughs> uh, and so, like I said, it's, it's a little bit of a loop, but um, I, I want to talk about uh, end of life planning from the standpoint of, uh, from the standpoint of Hezekiah here, uh, talking about, you know, as the Lord told him in the scripture to put his house in order and how that is a biblical thing to make sure uh, that we don't just pass away uh, with, without being wise about it. So here, Hezekiah, he had a relationship with the Lord. He was a, a very, very righteous king. He had a good uh, relationship with God. He had a good testimony. And the Lord told him, you know, set your house in order because you're going to die. He had that type of relationship with the Lord, uh, where the Lord, kind of like Abraham, he was telling him, as a friend, giving him a little more information than maybe what we're normally used to getting. Uh, and, and that goes back to what we talked about this past Sunday with regards to prayer, uh, developing that relationship with God in prayer uh, so that God is giving us messages and talking to us a little more than what he uh, may talk to uh, someone who does not have a relationship with him. And so he's telling him here, it's time for him to die. And, and if you know the story of Hezekiah, you know that Hezekiah intercedes and Hezekiah begins to talk to the Lord again because of that relationship he has with God. He begins to talk to the Lord and tell the Lord, like, no, don't do this to me. Uh, and the Lord gives him 15 more years. Uh, but the interesting thing about it, again, is that this is one of the few times in the Bible uh, where the Lord comes and lets somebody know, hey, you're, you're going to pass away. And, and even more interestingly, 
that Hezekiah is actually able to starve that off to a certain extent. Uh, but focusing again on the part where he tells him to get your house in order. And I've used that. Uh, I had to speak to a group of churches um, a couple years ago now. I guess it was like right before the pandemic, before everything kind of slowed down. I was speaking to a group of churches and uh, I was wishing that I had my computer because I had some slides and things like that. Uh, but the, the main point is that we use this scripture to talk to uh, several, you know, members of, of several different churches to tell them it is so important for us to do things like uh, estate planning, to get our house in order. It causes so much confusion. Some people think, well, I don't need estate planning because I'm young or I don't need estate planning because I don't really have a lot of money. Um, and so we we kind of drift into that abyss of it's just not important for me. Uh, and, and let me say to be very clear, because obviously I'm sure all of you all know and, and many of the people that may listen to this later may know that I am an attorney and that I provide estate planning. But just so it's clear that this is not a um, a commercial uh, for anybody listening to this, I will not provide you estate planning. Um, I will direct you to someone who can do that if you make up your mind after we've talked about this, uh, that that's important. Uh, but again, you know, it is a biblical thing. Looking back even to Moses and, and you looking at him, looking at him and Joshua, Moses did certain things. You know, it, it wasn't the type of documents that we talk about today where you need a will or you need a trust or you need a power of attorney or a healthcare surrogate. Uh, it wasn't the same kind of thing, but Moses provided because he knew somebody else that had a relationship with God, someone else who um, understood the times and understood what God was saying, because uh, Moses knew that he unfortunately had struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock, and God told him he wasn't going to see the promised land. So he was able to know and understand uh, even back then, that he was not going to see the promised land. So he knew his time was coming to an end, just like with Hezekiah. And he began to set Joshua up so that there was no confusion once he left. And, and that's really what it's about, is like a lot of times we think, well, I don't have this or I don't have that. But to be honest, you know, I've had so many cases, I mean, things that you all would be completely and utterly just surprised about. I mean, People have fought over, um, I remember one case, it was so uh, funny. They were fighting over who got mama's bed sheets. And, and that might sound like a joke, but that's a true story. They were fighting over who got the sheets. And the funny thing about it is, is one of the uh, siblings that had a little more sense came forward and said, you know, all this fighting they doing over things like bed sheets and comforters. And then she said, Mama never even bought any of them new. All of that stuff came from the Goodwill. So they were fighting over used sheets. Um, I mean, that that's laughable, but it's true. Fighting over used sheets and fighting over used comforters. And so uh, um, a lot of times I kind of uh, am careful in talking about these things because, of course, I am uh, an attorney uh, that, that practices in this area. But tonight I felt like it was fitting uh, because we did not have our whole life Sunday this past Sunday. Uh, we didn't have that because, again, there was a death uh, in the family of our facilitator. And thankfully, 
Um, you know, <laughs> I know that the death that happened, although it was very unfortunate, very sad, I know that that person had their house in order, had an estate plan uh, with, because for one, uh, the person who passed away was the husband of the person who mentored me in estate planning. Um, the, the sister of um, Sister Regina Fowler that would have been there this past Sunday, giving our whole life Sunday, it was her uh, brother-in-law, which is uh, Betty Battle Turner's husband. Uh, that funeral is this Sunday for anyone who, who knew them. Uh, but it, it, it just really hit home. And knowing, you know, again, that they were someone who had their house together, uh, but we missed our whole life Sunday just talking about the real life issues like we like to talk about from a biblical perspective this past Sunday. It was just important uh, for me that, you know what, Let, let's hit on something that's whole life. So kind of running down really quickly uh, for for most people, I'll say, you know, probably 80 percent of the people uh, that I see, the most important thing for them to do is to have uh, a, a few documents. If you have a home, if you live in Missouri, you need a beneficiary deed. You need something that says, hey, oh, well, I don't own, you know, people, the things I hear, well, I don't own my home outright. I got a mortgage on it. I owe a lot of money. Well, you know, still, um, if there's any type of equity in that home, um, and even if there's not, there may be by the time you pass away, having a beneficiary deed if you live in Missouri or what they call a transfer on death instrument if you live in Illinois. Those are important things to have. It makes sure that when you pass away, your estate is not locked up in probate, not or, or, or with regards to your house anyway. It's not locked up in probate for months and months, uh, maybe even years at a time. Uh, I had an estate not all that long ago and by the end of it, there were so many different things we had to do that the legal fees alone between what the court charged and what I had to charge uh, from an hourly perspective was over well over $10,000 uh, for probating that estate. And the estate did not go where the gentleman would have wanted it to go from everything that I could discern, but it went by what law said. And, and the, the, I mean, I say I say over ten thousand. It was probably over fifteen thousand dollars in court costs and legal fees for what he could have accomplished with probably about two thousand dollars if he had done it while he was still alive. Um, and and again, it would have went where he wanted it to go. It ended up going to estranged relatives, and you know he had some individuals that were close to him that were like daughters. And it didn't go to them. It went to people who he hadn't spoken to in years because that was what the law said had to happen. But even that being considered, there may there's many times where your estate, if you pass away without a will, without a trust, without a beneficiary deed, your estate will go exactly where you wanted it to go. However, it'll just go with additional fees. It'll go with the people that you love paying taxes. It'll go with the court being involved because you had minor children and none of us ever planned to pass away. Uh, however, it is a very real thing that we hear about on a daily basis for people having untimely deaths. So uh, going back, a beneficiary deed, if you own property, if you own any type of real estate, that is something that is very important for you to have. 
and investing the uh, the deed in your house should something happen to you to some other adult person. Uh, just a quick tidbit. One thing that you don't want to ever do is to have anything you own going to a minor that automatically dictates court involvement, uh, a, a bank account you have. And we call those you can put for free, by the way, at the bank. You can go to the bank and put what we call a POD. That stands for pay on death. And you can put a POD on an account. And so many people, again, estates that I have probated has a minor on there. Well, I just got my son and, you know, he's eight and I put his name on there and the bank's not going to question you as well. They shouldn't. They don't know the law. And you pass away and the person you put on there that was eight is now 12. Well, guess what? He's still got six more years before he's the age of majority. So what happens? That money ends up getting mixed up with the court. And so now we've got to open up a conservatorship or a guardianship and put that money uh, in the court. And it's subject to court fees. It's subject to attorney costs. Uh, so we never want to put a minor as a uh, as a beneficiary, so to speak, a pay on death or anything like that. Um, but past the beneficiary deed. You know, we want to make sure that bank account. So we want to make sure. Uh, and, and these are all things, by the way, I should I should clarify with regards to bank accounts. Now, if you need a beneficiary deed, you probably need an attorney for that. If you own real property, you need to contact an attorney, uh, you know, find in one or, you know, sometimes a, a simple Google search can bring you to a good attorney who practices estate planning, you know, interview a couple of them. Don't just go with the first person that you find. Um but interview, you know, a couple of them, you know, ask about prices, go for a consultation. Sometimes the consultations are free. Uh, sometimes they're not, you know, personal injury consultations are usually free, but many times with things like estate planning or, um, you know, law that has to do with, you know, family, you know, divorce, child custody, things like that. A lot of times they're not free criminal law. Um, you know, again, not trying to go off on a tangent, but don't, don't be put off if somebody wants a consultation fee. It should be something pretty minimal. Uh, but many times there is a consultation fee for those types of things. Uh, again, I can provide referrals, but, you know, I, I fully believe that you can find, you know, someone on your own as well. So finding someone who, you know, practices in the area of estate planning, not just dibbles and dabbles, but someone who actually knows about estate planning. But past that, you know, there are many things you can do that people don't do that you can just do for free, you know, go to the bank and tell them, hey, I've got an account here. I've got a bank account here. I want to put a POD again, pay on death on my bank account, uh, because there are many people that if they just did that, if they didn't do anything else, I don't own any property. I don't have this. I don't have that. I didn't necessarily feel like I needed a will, but you've got a bank account. And even if you feel like the bank account doesn't have a whole lot of money in it, well, I never really have any money in there. Well, guess what? When you pass away, that account gets locked down if you're the only person that was on that account. And nobody even knows what you had in there. So you got people going through probate trying to find out information on accounts and find out that, you know, there was no money in the account. So what a waste of money on an attorney. What a waste of money on filing costs to find out that there really wasn't anything to speak of. So just having someone on that account with a POD on the account, all they need is a death certificate. Then go to the bank with a death certificate and be able to say, hey, 
you know, I am X, Y, Z. I'm such and such as daughter, brother, sister, and I was their POD or even friend. It doesn't have to be someone related to you. I was their POD or their person that was payable on death. And here's a copy of the death certificate. And they will immediately start to tell you, um, well, this is how much money was in there or give you a cashier's check for the amount of money that was in there. So those type of things are important. Uh, while we're touching on that, and, and I feel like I'm jumping all over, and, and please feel free to jump in with questions, uh, you know, ping in, and, and honestly, I think the mute is uh, enabled, unmute rather is enabled, so you can unmute at any time and just kind of pop in, um, but something similar to a POD is what we call a TOD, T, uh, transfer on death, and that's something that you do with uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles. You can do a transfer on debt to someone uh, that you want your vehicle to go to. This is especially important if you are the only person titled on your vehicle. Again, can't not tell you how many times people have called to say, hey, um, you know, we got to go through probate for this car. I mean, it's just it's it's so unnecessary, so unnecessary to have to go through probate for a car when you could have paid. $30. The Department of Motor Vehicles go pay $30 to have them add an extra person to your title. Now, the best time to do that is when you buy a new car. Now, if you've got a note on your car, and many people, of course, including myself, has a, a monthly payment on their car, uh, then it may be a little bit of a problem if you go to try to change your title after you have initially titled it. So you buy a car, you go to that DMV the first time, they'll do whatever you want them to do at that point. Once there is a lien holder on your title, then you have to go through the lien holder to get permission to put a TOD on there. But I have never seen that request denied, by the way. So you can still do it. You can still do it. Um, but you put what, what they call a TOD or transfer on death to make sure, again, you go into the DMV at that point and say, this person has passed away. Here is a copy of uh, the death certificate, and they will immediately title that vehicle in your name. Again, so many times people say, well, my car is not paid off. Well, I'm upside down on my car. Well, yeah, that's the case now. Uh, however, you, you don't know, you know, for one, get in the habit of doing things like this. Bank accounts, you open them up, you add a pay on death, you add a POD, a car, you buy it, you go to the DMV when you working to get your title or even at the um, dealership, let them know, hey, I want someone on my title, you know, on our cars, the way they are. If they're not titled in me and Jessica's name, then it's TOD one to the other. You know, the, the car that I own now says Ryan E. Neal, TOD, Jessica E. Neal, right on the title. So if something were to happen to me, it automatically transfers to her. And that's one place in marriage that um, you know, bank accounts, if, if, if she's not on my bank account, all of our bank accounts have each other listed. We're uh, joint owners. Uh, but if you got an account and you opened it up, said, well, I didn't put my spouse on there. OK, well, that you know, that's fine. You know, you're saving money on the side or doing whatever. But make sure that you've got your spouse set to be the beneficiary, the POD on that account. Um so th those are very important things. So we've talked about beneficiary deeds. We've talked about uh, bank accounts. We've talked about vehicles. Um, one of the next things, of course, is a will. Now, with a will, we want to make sure 
the the wheel is is really and and this is where a lot it gets kind of sticky because a lot of people say, well, I have a wheel, so I'm okay. But the problem with the wheel is that a wheel is actually only good to transfer interest if there is no title or deed. So I can put in my wheel that Olu gets my vehicle when I pass away, or I can put in my wheel that you know. Olu gets, you know, let's say even my house or something like that. It's my good friend and I want him to have that. I'm not married or whatever the case may be. And I put that in my will. But guess what? That's got to go through probate. So we still need an attorney. It's still got to be filed with the court. There's still got to be a court case. And that's why we use things like a beneficiary deed. We don't put our house in our will because it's still got to go through probate. It's still going to be uh, potential drama. We put that in a beneficiary deed. That's what we call, if you're taking any kind of notes, write down non-probate transfer. Non-probate transfer. That's what we want. That's the goal of estate planning is non-probate transfers. A will is still probated. Let me tell you what a will is good for. A will is good for um, Keeping the drama down with regards to things like grandmama's bed sheets that she got from the Goodwill. Uh, and, and I'm joking by saying that, but that is true. Uh, like we talked about just a little bit earlier, uh, the things that people might argue over. We use wheels. I remember I had a client. We used a wheel for her because she had um, some pretty valuable things, honestly. Um, it, one, one client, I'll tell you about two separate clients. One client had a ring that was valued at a very, very high amount. I'm talking $70,000. So I, I don't know why she had this ring, but it was like $78,000 and appraised for like $78,000. Um, and But the ring was in her possession. It wasn't with some jeweler. It didn't have any type of title or anything like that to it. And so we put it in the wheel that this, you know, platinum, I don't even know how to describe it at the time I did, but this platinum, you know, beautiful ring with all these huge diamonds and all this stuff was to go to this particular daughter that she had. And we were able to put that in a wheel because it didn't have a title attached to it, didn't have a deed attached to it, anything like that. And so those type of things can go in a wheel. Um, those type of things, uh, again, like, you know, televisions, um, my living room furniture, the con you could even make it very general and say the contents of my house, those kind of things can go in a wheel because there's nobody to check up on that, so to speak. And if it became an issue, then yeah, we can go to court. We can fight about it if we have to. And I got the wheel to back it up, but the wheel is more so to tell the family members, Hey, this is what I want. Here are my wishes. And in my opinion, a well-written well will will never have to be probated. It'll never actually have to go to court. Again, playing down on all the drama, all of the things that, uh, that would normally divide a house and, and, and keep people from, uh, truth be told, from, from being spiritual. You know, we look back from a biblical standpoint and we even look at David. You know, it's like David when... Um, when things weren't quite right, and his son Absalom was trying to fight him for the kingdom because, again, um, it was just drama and he was trying to dethrone him. It's like, no, we want to play down on all of that. 
want to play down on all of that. We want to keep, like, as the scripture says, we want peace with all men as is possible. You know, just keep peace as much as is possible. So that's really the goal, you know, for many times as a Christian, uh, it, it, it's it's smart from the standpoint of um, being a good steward. Of course, the scripture tells us to that we are to be good stewards, but it's also smart from the standpoint of we want to play down. We want to keep peace. You know, we pass away. The last thing we want is to find out, you know, in heaven, I don't think we're going to be so much worried about it, but uh, find out in heaven that it was a bunch of drama after we died because we didn't have our house in order like the Lord instructed Hezekiah. So we want to be good stewards. So um, the the will is good for that purpose. The will is good for uh, those types of things that don't have a title, that don't have a deed, like a vehicle. Uh, it's not good for a vehicle. It's not good for a house. Uh, but it's good for some other things. Now, the second uh, person I was going to tell you about, the first person was the person, like I said, with the very expensive ring. Another example is a lady who had um, a lot less expensive, but she had a lot of uh, old school vinyl records. And those things, they could be worth something one day. But more than anything, those were sentimental value. And so we used a wheel as a vehicle to... Um, make sure that she could leave albums to um, the people that she wanted to leave those albums to. Again, it could be m worth money, uh, but more than anything, those were sentimental things. She had albums, you know, signed by B.B. King, uh, original vinyl records and those kind of things. Of course, she was an older lady. But for her, um, <laughs> it was more so about peace of mind not from a financial standpoint, like I want my niece to have these. And, you know, so we had her, you know, put those said, well, best thing to do is to put those in a, in a place where, you know, you've got certain storage areas. So, you know, we, we split it up into like a ABCDF. Uh, and then, you know, whatever albums you wanted to go to this person, you keep them here uh, in this particular storage uh, it was all in her house, but it was the way she stored them. And it's like, this is the A albums. These are the B albums. These are the C albums. And then we left the A, the B, the C, the D albums to certain people. And she was able to, of course, continue to enjoy those while she was alive because she was still in good health, even though she was older. Uh, but she kept them uh, with certain, I guess, so to speak, titles on them. So it's like, once you pass away, then you know, this person gets this uh, group of albums and this person gets this group of albums. Again, people don't realize this, but those are the kind of things that a wheel is good for. It is not good for transferring titles on your house or on your car uh, or for things like your life insurance policy. Like you have to have your beneficiaries uh, sure on your life insurance policies. Wheels are not good for uh, bank accounts. Wheels are not good for uh, retirement accounts. You know, you can say that in there and it will accomplish that, but not without months and months of probate and going to court and paying attorneys and paying court costs. Okay. So that being said, uh, moving on quickly to uh, powers of attorney. We got a couple of different types. We got a power of attorney for healthcare, and we got a power of attorney for finances. Now, power of attorneys, uh, those are what I call living documents, because powers of attorney, whether it's healthcare uh, or for finances, those actually terminate on death, where things like a beneficiary deed, a will, your POD for your bank account, your TOD for your vehicle, 
uh, all those things uh, will, those things do not come into action until after you pass away. But when we're talking about a power of attorney, uh, whether it's for healthcare or whether it's for uh, what we call general power of attorney for finances, those things don't actually, um, those things come into play while you're still alive and they terminate when you pass away. Uh, with the exception of a healthcare power of attorney. So we'll start with that one. Healthcare power of attorney does essentially uh, stop or is no longer valid once you pass away, except there's a caveat. Uh, and that caveat is uh, once you pass away, the healthcare power of attorney can allow someone to direct um, placement of the body, so to speak. So if the healthcare power of attorney says that I have the right to um, donate your organs, for instance, I'm somebody's healthcare power of attorney, and it says I have the right to donate your organs, uh, then I can do that. Or if it says that I have the right to make the final arrangements, then I can direct that you are buried or cremated or whatever you know those final arrangements uh, may be. Uh, but other than that, a healthcare power of attorney is just something that directs and says, hey, um, if, it's, if it's crafted correctly, it'll say, I can have access to your healthcare records. And it'll say that I can make end of life decisions for you, or not necessarily even just end of life, but healthcare decisions for you. If you get to the point where you are no longer able to make the decisions for yourself. So the healthcare power of attorney Nobody's ever going to say, well, you know, we're not going to listen to the patient anymore because <laughs> this person has a healthcare power of attorney. That's not going to happen. Uh, but if you're in a coma or if you get to a point where you're no longer lucid, then it allows whoever it is that you put into place to make healthcare decisions for you uh, once you pass away. These things are important for people um, who you know, does not, who doesn't have a spouse or a child who is over the age of majority. It could also be important if you have a spouse or a child over the age of majority, but that's not who you want to make your healthcare decisions. Or if you think that there is going to be a, a, a fight between your adult children as to, well, mom would want to live like this or dad wouldn't want to live like this or whatever the case may be. So you get a chance to designate and say, well, you know what? I think this child or my spouse or whoever would have more of a uh, mind like what I would want if I was no longer able to make those decisions for myself. Uh, coupled a lot of times with the healthcare power of attorney is something that we call a living will. Uh, and, and don't get it confused. A living will has nothing to do with your assets like we talked about before. A living will has to do with what you say while you are still in the, um, to use a churchy phrase, the land of the living, while you're still in the land of the living, uh, what you would want if you were at a point where you were brain dead or, you know, no longer coherent. Uh, and it just, you know, living wills are very short. They're like two pages. And all it really has to do with is uh, how many physicians you want to confirm that you are you know, in fact, essentially dead or brain dead or whatever the cause may, whatever the case may be, and how many days you want in order to kind of kind of see if you're going to come to is the best way I can put it. And those are very short documents. So it'll say something like, I want two independent physicians 
uh, to say that, you know, he is not going to recover. And then uh, after five days or three days or seven days, then uh, I don't want to be artificially kept alive any longer. Uh, so a lot of times we couple a living will with the healthcare power of attorney and it kind of directs whoever your health care power of attorney is uh, with regards to what you would have wanted if you were still able to uh, communicate that. Okay. Now, the second type of power of attorney, again, is for finances. And not to confuse you, but there's two types of financial powers of attorney. And the financial powers of attorney, um, one is uh, what we call a durable and the other one is what we call springing. One is durable, one is springing. Uh, I only draft durable because what springing means is if I get so sick that I can't make my financial decisions, then I want this person to do it for me. Uh, what durable says is uh, I'm putting this person in control now. And should I get to the point where I can no longer make financial decisions, uh, then I want this person to remain in control. Now, I only draft the durable ones because, you know, I've had people tell me before, well, I want the springing. I don't want anybody to be able to be in charge and make any kind of decisions for me uh, until it's necessary. Uh, and my response to them is, well, if you don't trust them now, then why would you trust them once you're incoherent? Um, <laughs> And, and, and so that being said, I do understand that, you know, you may not want to use it now uh, or give that document to them now, uh, but it's okay for that document to be valid now. Uh, and so many times what we do, and, and I've even had uh, clients before, and I don't do this anymore because it just ends up being more trouble um, for me and more drama for me, but I've had clients before say, well, I want you to keep the power of attorney here at your office. And then, you know, your family knows my family or whatever the case may be. So if I get ill, then I want you to give this to my daughter. Uh, and I learned very quickly that I do not want to be involved. So if you don't trust your daughter or you think that, you know, this person thought she was going to, you know, see it beforehand and he didn't trust her to, to, to be financially responsible, not that he thought she was going to steal or anything, but he didn't feel like she was financially responsible. Well, you know what? You probably need somebody that's going to be a different power of attorney for you. So I only draft them uh, to where they are uh, valid immediately. And then uh, they continue on once you're no longer able to make your decisions. And again, you don't have to provide that document right away, uh, but it, it, it's important because for one, if we do the springing, then there could be emergencies. So you all of a sudden fall ill, and then we've got one that says that it's not valid until you're no longer able to make you know, decisions for yourself. And like what I talked about with that living will, all of a sudden now, you got to find two independent physicians to sign off to say, well, Brother John can no longer make decisions for himself. And so this power of attorney is now valid and we got to do an affidavit. We got to get in touch with these doctors and, you know, doctor schedules are busy. And even if they're not busy, they act like they're busy. And so we got to locate and track down these two doctors to have this person seen. And yep. OK, nope, they can't make these decisions for themselves and we need somebody to notarize it. And, you know, it, it just becomes really messy. So so I don't. I don't do the springing power of attorney for that reason. We only do, or I only do rather, durable 
Um, and, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the springing. If you find an attorney and you decide, I just really want the springing power of attorney for my finances, that's fine. You know, it, it's possible for a reason. I advise against it, but it's something that is possible. Okay. Um, okay. So last thing. And again, uh, I'm still, I still haven't seen, let's see. Oh, we got a couple people here. Uh, let's say uh, advanced directives, sister Erica, I'm just seeing that. So advanced directives actually have um, a lot to do with what we, so advanced directives are more so um, that healthcare power of attorney. So the healthcare power of attorney with the living wheel, uh, that's really considered like an advanced directive. And the advanced directive is kind of a term of art too. Uh, advanced directive, depending on the state, um, is um, it, it depends on specifically what we call an advanced directive has more so to do with the state. But that's a very fitting question, especially for you uh, being a nurse, going into nursing. Um, that has a lot to do with that living will and that healthcare power of attorney. So I think in Missouri, they call it an advanced directive once you couple the living will with the healthcare power of attorney that's considered to be an advanced directive. Okay. So we did still kind of hit on that healthcare power of attorney being who you designate to make those healthcare decisions and the living will, uh, when I was still in my, you know, mind or my right mind or however you want to term it, uh, this is what I wanted. And, and they will take that over what the healthcare directive, I'm sorry, what, over what the healthcare power of attorney individual that is designated says. So if you say, well, I wouldn't want to be kept alive this way, that way, that will take deference over what the power of attorney says for healthcare, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so uh, past that, the, uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and again, there's so much more, but we're talking just general, what, you know, 80 to 90% of people uh, many times need. The last thing is a trust. And a trust is something that um, in, honestly, in the past, I'd say, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, a lot of people want, a lot of attorneys rather, want to hand out trust. And trust um, can be somewhat expensive. They're, you know, they're longer to draft, you know, wire where a uh, will may be anywhere between four pages to 10 pages uh, on average. Um, a trust is probably going to be, even a short trust is going to be at least 20 pages. Um, and I draft really short trusts because I kind of like to get to the point again, based on the training that I received uh, coming up in the law. Uh, but a trust is, it could be a very, very important document for someone who, um couple couple things has for one the, the main time i see it and the main time i'm drafting trust is for people who have minor children and especially if you want to you know listing your trust um even for people who are married or divorced you know sometimes you want to list somebody in there now it for for your minor children if you've got a spouse or um, a ex-spouse or a baby daddy, baby mama, whatever the case may be, that's still alive, then by law, uh, that child is going to go to that person. Um, however, whatever finances that you have, you can direct it to go somewhere else. So 
ex-baby daddy that you don't have the greatest relationship with might have the child, but you could leave the money to your mother or to your sister uh, so that you're making sure that that money is used in the right way. And if we draft that the right way, again, we can play down on drama uh, because, you know, now sister ain't fighting brother. I'm sorry, sister not fighting baby daddy or, you know, whatever the case may be, because she's holding the money and she wants to use the money, of course, to make sure that things are done right for the child. And more than anything, I feel like I've seen it put people um, <laughs> on better speaking terms because, you know, dad might have child, but he want to be on sister's good side because she's holding the purse strings uh, to make sure that the child is taken care of outside of whatever social security or things the state may provide. So uh, a trust, again, there's a lot of different reasons and it's, it's really one of those things. It's hard to really get and dive completely into why you may need a trust. So I just leave that most um, normal reason. Um, there, there's also... I guess another reason would be for a trust. I've had people say before uh, they didn't have minor children, but they said, well, you know, I had a client who had adult children, uh, but she had a son who was on drugs. And she's like, you know, I don't want to disinherit him. I love him. He's a good son. However, um, I do not want him to get all of the money that I have in a lump sum because I feel like he would just kill himself with a drug overdose. And while I'm hopeful to see him free from drugs one day, you know, I'm in my 60s and he's not free yet. And so the last thing I want is for me to die and for him to end up with, you know, $300,000 all at once. Like, I just don't, I don't think that's a good idea. So we can draft a trust to say, hey, this person gets this certain amount of money every month uh, for the rest of their lives or however, you know, long the period. I mean, we can even put things in there you know, for instance, for her that says, hey, uh, this person gets a thousand dollars a month until uh, they can pass um, drug tests for 12 months showing that they're not on cocaine or whatever the case may be. Uh, and then they can have the corpus or, you know, the balance. We say corpus, but the balance of the trust at that point. Uh, I'm drafting one literally for now. I got an execution Friday. Uh, for uh, someone who said, well, you know, I want my son to have the money, but I don't want him to have the money that I have. Um, if if I were to pass away before he was a certain age, I don't want him to have it until he turned. Uh, I can't remember what age she used, but it may be 30, 32, whatever, uh, because I don't think he'll be mature enough to handle it before then. So we can put something in there saying, well, and, and we did this with him. He gets a certain amount of money per month if something were to happen to her. Uh, he gets a certain amount of money per month. And then when she when he turns, uh, you know, 30, then he gets the corpus of the trust. So, again, you know, with him, he's a minor. But there, there's there could be a lot of reasons why we want to use a trust. A trust just gives us a lot of control, which is why it's longer. Uh, it gives us a lot of control. It lets us say, you know, what we want, what we don't want. Um, it, it lets us like, you know, leave guardianship to one person and then, you know, money to the other person. It allows us to put things in place where it says, okay, this person is what we call the trustee who is, you know, the person that handles the money. Uh, but then also, you know, this other person can check up and this person has to provide, you know, information, receipts, whatever to this other person. 
uh, it just gives a, a big range of possibilities with regards to uh, how we are able to structure things. So um, all, all of that to say, you know, I went on a, on a, on a long kind of, you know, tangent, so to speak there. Uh, to kind of explain to you all of the general estate planning things, but it all really just comes down to responsibility. It all comes down to being a good steward over what God has given us. And I'll throw this tidbit in there too. Uh, one of the one of the ways that wealth is built is through life insurance policies. And um, you know, I I really don't know. I don't I don't know a whole lot about life insurance policies. The life insurance policy that I have is uh from what i was directed is 10 times my salary so i have a life insurance policy that's 10 times what i make per year and that life insurance policy um is set of course you know i've got some different parameters and things on it but that life insurance policy is set um and and we don't realize it a lot of times but that's really the way that wealth is built in a lot of ways um in, in so many things you see you know, if, if, for instance, with a, a trust is it, probably a good example. So, you know, you have a life insurance policy and you have your life insurance policy made payable to your trust. And then we've got a non-probate transfer. Like I told you, that doesn't get caught up in the courts. That doesn't get caught up um, in, uh, in, in probate. It doesn't get caught up uh, even with regards to taxes. We can do a, 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 a transfer that's less, um, you know, most of the time we can just avoid taxes altogether by putting it in a trust or a, avoid estate taxes, should I say, by putting that in trust. And so, you know, your, your life insurance policy, your wife's life insurance policy, all those things, they're made payable to the trust. And then the trust says, okay, the children, you know, get this at this age, they get this, whatever. Um, and, and that's one way that, you know, without even having a lot of money, you might say, well, you know, I don't really have a lot. And, you know, of course we hope that you're around and you're, you know, you're around and, and, and alive, you know, well into your child's, uh, adult years. But if you're not, you know, it, it's really more of a responsibility that you make sure that you put your children in a better place. You're not there to give them love and guidance and attention but you could at least be there to provide them financial stability. So, you know, what could be 20 or $30 a month, you know, minuscule in comparison to leaving them without those types of um, uh, benefits and that money made payable to a trust, you know, for, for less than, you know, a couple thousand dollars, you can make sure that your child is set up. Should something happen to you um, not only before they become an adult, but, but even past adulthood, you know, through their college years and their early 20s, uh, those types of things. So, again, all of this is um, just kind of free advice, so to speak. And um, if if any of you guys have any questions, you know, we're at uh, 751 here now. If anybody has any questions, you know, I'll entertain those. Uh, you can just unmute at this time. That's really all I had uh, from a uh, it, it, maybe you can tell I've been doing this for a while because um, I, I feel like I've been going on and on and on for a full, you know, 45 minutes, at least at this point, And there's still more to talk about. So I feel like I've given you everything that's vital. Uh, and then if anybody has any follow up questions or anything, I can entertain those at this time. Hi, Hi this is Gianna. 
So I just wanted to verify. So instead of leaving my insurance policy to the kids since they're younger, I should put that in a trust and the trust will determine at whatever age I agree, like 18 or 21, what have you, that they would be the beneficiaries at adult age. Exactly. Am I understanding that right? Kind of, okay. Yep. And you would need some kind of trustee um, that you would name to say, but yes, that's exactly right, Gianna. Uh, there's a little more okay. to it because you will still need a trustee for that trust. Um, and and what I've seen some people do, and I would prefer this as opposed to leaving it in their name, is if you didn't do a trust, at least put that insurance policy in the name of somebody who you do trust that is an adult that will make sure that they get what they need when they need it um, without, um, how do I say it? Some, somebody that you trust enough to know that they're not going to squander the money for themselves, but putting it in in somebody else's name um, that that's going to make sure that, you know, your children are are cared for in the way that you would have wanted. Um, I thought I heard another voice. Uh, yeah, I uh, did something for my mother when she was uh, incapacitated. And what I did was I drafted up a will. I drafted up the power of attorney and the power of uh, health care. And it was all notarized and it was legal uh, with legal documents. Is that something possible that happens with the majority of states you know about where people can do that? I'm not saying that they should overlook uh, many of the things that you have discussed. But in this particular case, those were basically the only things that was needed. And I'm just wondering if that's the case and they can get the documents, can they do that themselves if they have the knowledge of how to do that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he here's here's the thing. Uh, th there's a lot of very, uh, I guess, educated individuals who say, OK, well, uh, I can do this myself. And and that's fine. But, you know, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it. You know, if, if you have a, a plumbing issue in your house and it's something as simple as using a plunger, then by all means, don't call Roto-Rooter to come and use a plunger. That being said, if your pipes are all backed up or you've got an issue with, um, you know, something that could be potentially dangerous or uh, hazardous or just... Uh, um, I guess something that is is very involved, then I personally believe in just paying someone to do the job that they're trained to do, okay? So when it comes to legal documents, here's the problem. Some people will say, and, and I've had people with, with very small things that I say, well, you know, it may be better for you to do your this yourself. For instance, small claims court. Small, claim, small claims court uh, people have attorneys sometimes, but small claims court is made uh, to be easy in most states for people to be able to just do it themselves uh, because they're small claims. You know, it is capped in, I think, Illinois or Missouri is at, at 5,000 and I think something similar in the state of Illinois. So little is at stake in a small claims court. When it comes to estate planning documents, the problem is that you may think you did a great job but guess what? We don't get to find out whether you really did a good job until the person passes away. And it's too late now. We can't redo it. There's there's no second bite at the apple at that point. 
So for instance, you know, I had someone that, that I knew well from uh, an old church I used to attend and they said, well, you know, I want you to do my mom's estate planning, but I think she did most of it by herself. And they, I said, okay. So they sent me what she did. And I said, well, I will review that uh, and, and kind of give you a, a determination just because again, we had a relationship. So I spent some time or I had planned, I guess I should say, I had planned to spend some time looking at these estate planning documents and say, I'm going to give this a good look. Let me set, you know, a half hour aside to look at this. But within five minutes, I looked at it and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is, this is trash. Um, you know, the things aren't signed right. You know, you got, uh, and, and again, these were educated people. You know, I'm talking about, you know, nurses and, uh, you know, people with advanced degrees. Uh, but I'm looking at it and I'm like, no, 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 no. There's no self-proving affidavit here. Well, what's that? Well, you don't know what that is because it's not here. Um, and I had to kind of go through and explain to them like, well, you're missing this whole important thing here that the, the page that would make all of this valid. So to answer your question, no, I don't suggest that people try to draft their own documents. And that's not just because I'm an attorney with a financial interest in people coming to me to have their documents drafted it's because you don't know you know just like i you know if i've got a headache i'm not going to go to the urgent care but if the but but if there's something more wrong i'm going to go see the doctor i'm going to let the doctor do it i'm not going to try to doctor myself i'm not going to web md it you know i'm going to make sure that i go to the person who is trained to do those things so i know that was kind of a a, a longer answer but i hope that makes sense uh, a lot of times with estate planning and, and by the way, many times in probate when so after probate is basically when someone passes away. And again, our goal in estate planning is to avoid probate altogether for ever having to be in court. Um, but when someone passes away with probate, many states, they require you to have an attorney. You cannot represent yourself in a probate court because technically you're representing the estate of somebody else. You're not representing yourself. You can always represent yourself in court, no matter how ignorant that may be to try to do that in a lot of cases. You can always represent yourself, but you cannot represent a company you own. You cannot represent your mom's estate or whatever the case may be. So again, there are some things that just require advanced um experience and credentials if that if that makes sense yes okay um <laughs> okay uh yep i i know sister eric i've done that many times i've diagnosed myself with many many things uh that i didn't have and as a, a movie i watched a long long time ago said uh somebody that was a hypochondriac and they said well, what's a hypochondriac and they said well it's somebody who thinks they have a bunch of illnesses but nothing's really wrong with them and the little boy said oh my god i think i got that too um <laughs> so yes uh self-diagnosis is not always good okay all right so we now we have gone a minute past our time uh, so I'm going to go ahead and dismiss us unless anybody else has uh, anything. And if they do, I would suggest uh, just shooting me a text um, after uh, we're over or giving me a call. OK, 
Uh, and that number that we use, by the way, the 314-720-8880, that phone number does come actually directly to my cell still. So you can use that if you want to uh, to uh, talk to me. Uh, okay, good, Sister Neil. I'm glad, I'm glad that that helped you. Um, she's always somebody telling me that I haven't done what I should do as a son, seeing that I'm an attorney to uh, <laughs> make sure I've helped them. Uh, so I'm glad this helped. And, and I know I still um, owe you some more conversations and some documents, mom. Um, okay. All right. So Lord God, we thank you. God, we thank you for this time together tonight. God, we thank you for this opportunity to um, have some chats, Lord Jesus, that are uh, not only practical, but biblical. Uh, because Lord, everything that is really practical for a for us as Christians is also biblical. And so God, we thank you for the examples in your word. Lord, you told us that uh, we ought to study to show ourselves approved unto God. And so Lord, we realize that some things that we look at in the scripture and want to read right over like Hezekiah, or like we talked about with Moses tonight, we read over those things and we don't really think much of it. Uh, but Lord, you're trying to talk to us even in those things. We know that spiritual things are always going to take precedence over, over earthly things because earthly things will be temporary. But Lord, the things that we do down here on this earth will be important for us uh, with regards to making it to eternity. And so, Lord, we just ask you tonight, Lord, to just help us. Help us, Father, to, uh, to be wise, to be wise in all things, Lord and to uh, make sure that we are good stewards with regards to the things that you have entrusted us with, uh, that we are uh, like the first two stewards, Lord, that we are good stewards over the things that you have entrusted us with and that we don't take it and just bury it in the earth or become unwise with it. And so, Lord, we give you the praise, we give you the honor, we give you the glory, and we love you so much, God. And we thank you for knowledge and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We pray that today's message has been a blessing and makes an eternal impact on your life. Come join us live on Sunday at 1245 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the St. Louis metro area, we meet at 1060 Chambers Road, a little over a mile south on Bell Fountain Road from Highway 270. You can also join us via Zoom. The login number is 314-720-8880. You can call that same number to reach someone on our ministry team or text the word connect there to be in the know regarding upcoming events. Again, that number is 314-720-8880. We are Relationship Church. Come grow with us.